0: Welcome to I Think You're Wrong. I'm Jake Licto.
1: And I'm Sebastian Waldron. Today, our guest is Chris Newman, a Master of Theological Studies and African-American African Studies student at Duke University. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so so we're really excited to have you on. Um, today, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to kind of start by just talking about your, your thesis um, uh, at, at Duke, if you could just... Go ahead and explain that um, to get the conversation started. Okay,
2: yeah. absolutely. Um, so, my thesis here at Duke is a pretty unique thesis um, in and of itself. At least I, I believe that it is. So, I am looking at, and from a comparative standpoint, the relationship between Jesus and Malcolm X from both a sociopolitical political standpoint and also from a religious perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason why I think that this is unique is because oftentimes uh, individuals tend to compare, and and individuals, I mean anyone from academic to the church, Mm -hmm. um, have often compared Jesus with Dr. King. Right. Right. Um, I, on the other hand, object um, somewhat vehemently to, Mm. uh, to this comparison. Um, which reasons I will definitely get into a little Mm -hmm. bit later in the show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But ultimately, I uh, am looking at Jesus particularly from a political perspective Mm -hmm. um, and looking at Jesus from a political perspective during uh, the last three years of his life, which is um, often looked at as being the the ministry uh, years of Jesus, and comparing that to the ministry era of uh, Malcolm X, Okay. Uh, both from a uh, a nationalistic perspective, um, mm-hmm. and then also from an overall religious perspective as well.
3: Okay.
1: Okay. So we're going to break that down um, soon going forward. But first, um, I want to just know a little bit about you too. Um, tell us a little bit about your your academic background. What brought you to Duke? Um, what brought you to this thesis? And then also your religious life too, and how that factors into um, to this study. Okay. Sure.
2: Uh, so as far as what brought me to Duke is, um, well, number one, I think Duke is a fine, is a, is a, is a fine school. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to actually come to Duke because there was a class on uh, an individual that, I, that I'm really very, very much a fan of, um, James Cone, mm-hmm. uh, who looked at black liberation theology. Mm-hmm. Um, however, once I got here, uh, the class was was no longer present. Um, other than that, uh, I think that Duke is 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 a it's a place where I can kind of I think flesh out more of my ideas, um, and then also kind of help to develop myself um, and prepare myself for my PhD work. So once I graduate, I will uh, be going into my doctorate work. Working on, uh, again, the same, pretty much the same thing as far as the comparison of Jesus and Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So previously, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree from The Ohio State University. Um, And before then, I was an elementary school teacher. Uh, believe okay. it or not, I actually, I didn't know um, that. Okay. So uh, I have a, a teaching degree um for elementary school. Okay. Uh, so I was a teacher for five years. That's great. What um, grade? What grade? Uh, I taught third grade. Okay.
1: Yes. All right. I was a TA in, in a third grade class. Oh, right? okay. So, wow. all right, all, all right. right. Yes. <laughs> I knew I liked you. All <laughs> right. It's the third grade is the best grade. So, okay. And what is your uh, what is your BA in?
2: Uh so my BA is in African American African studies. But okay. uh but it's also my uh previous BA is in early childhood education.
1: Okay. gotcha, okay, cool. Gotcha. Okay. Look, do you have any questions before we
0: Well I wanted I thought we wanted to talk about your religious background, kind oh, of how just, that yeah, factored yeah, into yeah, yeah, what good. you're doing with your studies. Yes.
2: Um so to begin, um I grew up in a very devout Southern Baptist church home. Um even though I'm from Ohio, just the, the Southern Baptist um, migration, mm-hmm. uh, northward. Uh, my father, uh, is a minister. Okay. Um, Reverend, um, I was going to call him Dr. King. <laughs> um, Reverend, um, Marvin Newman. High praise. Um, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so my father is, uh, Marvin Newman. Um, he's been a, a minister since I think I was three. Okay. So I grew up in a, in a church and grew up, uh, with the teachings of Jesus. Um, and the teachings of religion as far as Christianity writ large. Mm -hmm. Um, Once I became an adult, a lot of the things that I was taught, I started to question. Mm -hmm. Um, Mainly the reason why I needed to believe in Christianity, why I needed to believe in Jesus. Not to say that there was anything wrong with that, um, but I became um, uh, anti-organized religion, um, if you want to say that. So what that means to me... Is that um, I'm definitely a, a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. However, I just do not attempt to to, to subscribe to organized religious ideologies uh, because I think, in some ways, I find it to be a bit oppressive. I think I I, I also find it to be a bit biased, mm-hmm. um, and it's more of a exclusive versus inclusive um, realm. Okay, uh, and so ultimately, I move moved away from the religious aspect of, of life um, and started to try to embrace more of a spiritual realm and understanding um, myself in relationship, relationship to spirituality. Um, so I, w- I definitely will say that uh, religion is what you are um, taught. Mm-hmm. However, spirituality is what you are born with. Uh, so I think that hmm. once you kind of understand that and come to um, to realize what that actually means, mm-hmm. um, then I think that you can kind of function within both, you know, uh, paradigms of religion and spirituality.
0: Sure. Yeah, so I mean, maybe that's, um, I'm incredibly interested to see how that kind of shaped what you chose to study. I mean, Malcolm X coming from the Islamic tradition, Jesus, the Jesus tradition. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, kind of
1: how which, those which could mean a few different which, things. But. It
0: absolutely means a few different things. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see how that those things kind of came together for you.
1: Okay.
0: Well, so so how how did those things come together for you? Um, <laughs> let's
1: let's, let's well, go there. Yeah.
0: And even
2: even in growing up in the church home, um, I was always always a big fan of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really looked at him from the uh, religious perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I always looked at him from the um, social revolutionary
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, theology, a lot of his um, ideology, a lot of his, his rhetoric kind of spoke to me, um, mainly because he was really the only person that I knew growing up that spoke completely opposite of what I was hearing on a regular basis either at home or in church. Um, what, do and, you,
1: what do you mean by that?
2: Um, well, just the the fact that um, Malcolm was definitely a firebrand, um, mm-hmm. whereas Christianity was a bit tempered in many mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was, a, I found, a bit of um, passivity, if you will, with Christianity versus with Malcolm. who's was very direct. It was very, you know, this is what we uh you know are looking at, and so on
1: mm-hmm.
2: um you know this is what we are, are hoping to achieve also uh so I grew up in the eighties um so I was definitely a big hip hop uh hip hop fan mm-hmm. uh, the mid to late eighties early nineties hip hop where it was very social conscious yeah. uh, individuals you know wearing Malcolm x medallions mm-hmm. hat shirts you know um black power um you know uh decor uh and so on and so i was really kind of drawn to that as well okay uh and so i also kind of familiarized myself with malcolm through uh you know the the works of uh public enemy or de la so or um you know uh, a litany of people um of artists uh and so that also was a way in which i became familiar with malcolm and finally once i um I think got into about maybe seventh or eighth grade. Um, I started to, you know, read drips and drabs of Malcolm's work. Um, ultimately I ended up uh, reading his autobiography, Mm -hmm. um, at some point in high school and, um, it just all, it all made sense, uh, to me. So, yeah. Okay,
1: great. All right. So I want to get into your, your thesis, um, a little more now. Um, let's let's just focus on on one of them at a time to begin um talk about jesus in your research as a political figure um yes. during those during those ministry years yes
2: um so i find that jesus is perhaps one of the most misunderstood individuals in human history mm. um and I also find Jesus to be one of the most mischaracterized individuals uh, in human history. Okay. Because of Jesus' political rhetoric and because of Jesus' political attention, uh, so biblically speaking and just through the, um, the wash of Christianity, the political aspects of Jesus has often been overlooked. So one might ask, well, what are the political um, Mm. aspects or attributes of Jesus? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Well, if you read the Gospels, you you will find that Jesus was concerned with what I believe to be three key components to his political um, ideology. Um, The first was the economic standpoint or economic um, oppression in many ways Mm -hmm. uh, of first century Jews in and around Palestine, Jerusalem, Judea and such, um, as they were being oppressed and held uh, captive in many ways by the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you were uh, a, a Sadducee or a Pharisee or you worked in the temple or you mm-hmm. had some sort of relationship with the empire, yeah. Um 9 times out of 10 you were extremely poor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh Jesus was one of those individuals yeah. who would be characterized as being extremely poor.
4: Mm-hmm. And the
2: narrative in the gospels um definitely relate to that in, in many ways. Uh, Jesus was, you know, born in a stable. Uh you know, his um his upbringing was um poverty and, and so on uh, even in going into the temple um, you know many of the people who heard Jesus speak at, at 12 years old um, saw this you know this disheveled um, you know uh, individual not 12 but um, even as an adult at, at 30 as well saw this very disheveled um, mm-hmm. you know poor individual yeah um, and so you know how could the Messiah how could the redeemer of you know of Jews be this guy you right. know um right. so that was that was one of the um uh, uh political aspects of jesus uh the other was religious um, so Jesus definitely looked at and cared for the the religion and spirituality of jews yeah. um as one of my favorite authors uh Riza Aslan. Uh, wrote in the book Zealot, Jesus was a Jew first and only. Hmm. And so if you look at, at, at Judaism, particularly from a religious perspective, then that means that Jesus was definitely um, aware of and very sensitive to the religious and spiritual development of first-century Jews like himself. Um, ultimately, Jesus was not necessarily trying to pit himself against uh, Rome from a, uh, a spiritual perspective of saying, you know, following Roman gods is wrong. Uh, you will not find any, anywhere in the scripture where Jesus overtly says, um, you know, that uh, what Rome is doing is wrong. Uh, actually, on the contrary, uh, he states, you um, You know, what is Caesar, give to Caesar what is Caesar, Mm -hmm. and give to God what is God's. Uh, And so ultimately, people will look at that from uh, as being an an economic standpoint, but I also look at it from being a religious and spiritual standpoint. Um, And so Jesus was Mm -hmm. definitely aware um, that there was a division between... Jews like himself, uh, who worship Yahweh, who you know came from the house of David and so on, and Romans who over time adopted many of the uh, different characteristics and uh, tenets of their religious mm-hmm. uh perspective um, and ultimately sought to separate himself and Jews from that and I think that Jesus being yeah. aware that you know I am a, I'm a Jew living in occupied Palestine and Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to come in contact with Romans who worship, you know, um, the God of whatever uh, God yeah. that Romans worshipped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily my fight to try to um, uh, get rid of that. In many ways hmm. um, but instead it's my it's my mission to make sure that Jews are are still aware of and still believe in and still follow the tenets of Yahweh and in uh, Judaism so uh, so that's the second and then yeah. um, finally uh, the 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 third political aspect uh, that I find uh, with Jesus is the revolutionary aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that revolutionary and political are completely different in, okay. in, in many ways. Um, so, like you could take modern times, for instance. There are many politicians who are not revolutionary at all. True. Sure. Um, however, with Jesus... Looking at the revolutionary aspect, uh, one would have to ask: uh, So, what was Jesus' revolutionary mission? Uh, and I think that uh, the, the the two former that I just uh, mentioned definitely leads into the third, from the perspective of Jesus, um, understood keenly that in order to uh, in order to change the the way of life. Just a basic everyday way of life of Jews A radical revolutionary thought had to occur Hmm. Uh, Jews dating back to uh, at least 400 years prior um, Even with the Maccabean uh, Rebellion They had clung to this idea that eventually Yahweh was going to send a Messiah Mm -hmm. Um, And Jesus obviously understanding that knew that Mm -hmm. if there is going to be a Messiah, uh, the first thing that needs to happen is a revolutionary change in thought, in thought and idea, uh, and thought and practice, Mm -hmm. uh, and so on. And so Jesus' revolutionary perspective uh, going hand-in-hand with the uh, economic and with the uh, uh, political-slash-religious perspective uh, definitely gave way to what I— and my own research and, and from what I completely believe is what ultimately led to uh, his demise, uh, mm-hmm. which was just this targeted idealism of change. Um, and in comparison, and I definitely will get into this a little bit further, uh, but this is where I see the comparison between Jesus and Malcolm in many respects, um, because Malcolm practiced a a an idea of change. Um, this 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 notion that in order to be able to reinvent yourself, in order to be able to um, overcome your uh, your oppression. Uh, the first thing that you need to do is change the way in which you think, mm-hmm. uh, and once you do that, then you can move, you know, towards many of the other avenues, um, you know, and gain a, uh, a a foothold or or actually gain um, your uh, your release in many ways mm-hmm. from from your oppressor and those who are oppressing you. So, hmm.
0: yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'm trying to. Kind of piece together when we're thinking about revolutionaries, you know. You you said some most politicians aren't revolutionary, but I feel like all revolutionaries are inherently political. Mm -hmm. And so, thinking about Jesus, you know, what was he preaching? You think it was? It was ultimately his demise, and I would agree he's preaching the kingdom of God. So, how would how do you, I guess, interpret what he was preaching that was so revolutionary and political? I mean, I know it's change of thought, but what specifically? Do you think he was preaching about uh
2: so in my in my work i address um the the kingdom of god and i link both the kingdom of god and uh, jesus revolutionary rhetoric as being one and the same mm. um so many people would read the gospels and view the kingdom of god as a, a physical object in many respects uh as this this coming um literal kingdom at some point, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think that we would be remiss if we didn't understand that Jesus and the Gospels themselves uh, was was Jesus was speaking to a very specific audience um, who had a very specific um, idea of what the the near future was going to be mm-hmm. and the gospels were written for a very specific audience who believed that the near future was going to be a, mm-hmm. of a certain way
4: sure.
2: uh... and so in looking at and comparing the kingdom of jesus from an allegorical standpoint uh... and relating that to the revolutionary rhetoric of jesus jesus was in my opinion was essentially saying that The kingdom of God is at hand because you are here. And as soon as you relieve yourself from believing in and thinking in things that are uh, Hmm. anti what Yahweh has decreed, not only to yourselves, but to your ancestors, and as soon as you remove yourselves from many of the i want to say paganistic practices mm-hmm. uh... of rome particularly in the temple yep. um, you know then you will discover the, the kingdom of god and i think that jesus left a lot of breadcrumbs in this when he was indicating that uh... you know god is within you Um, you know and, and just other other things in which jesus was was indicating that you know don't don't really be fascinated or fancy yourself in looking for, you know, uh, the sky to open up and literally there is a kingdom of God coming down. Uh, you know, one of, one of the, the verses in which I think, uh, speaks to this, uh, is when Jesus is saying that, uh, no one knows the, the, the hour, uh, or the day, um, and Jesus was trying to get people to, to remove themselves from this, this thought that, okay, on this day, then God's going to come. Uh, God is already present. Uh, mm-hmm. God is within you. So long as you believe in Yahweh, as long as you follow uh, the, the, the strict tenets of Judaism, and as long as you um, are, are very, um, I want to say, uh, faithful to Yahweh, mm-hmm. um, then, then yes, the kingdom of God is is going to be there, um, but the kingdom of God definitely, again, with it being political rhetoric, and this this change of of, of philosophy um, was in I think in lockstep and and was very you know interchangeable, okay, uh, you know with Jesus' political rhetoric. Hmm. Okay,
1: okay. Um, was it possible he was also talking about a literal kingdom too?
2: Um I don't think that he was. Okay. I,
1: I don't think that he was. Not not like like a literal kingdom as in overthrowing the occupation of Rome. Yes. You know uh, what I'm saying?
2: Yes. So that would be the reason why I don't think that Jesus was talking about a a literal okay. Uh, kingdom. Okay. Okay. Um yeah. so and Matthew 10:34 uh, Jesus says, do not assume that I have come to bring peace, uh, but I have come to bring a sword. Right. And he's also indicating that, um, you know, don't assume that I am coming to destroy the Roman Empire. Hmm. Um, ultimately, that is not my end game. Mm-hmm. Uh, what my end game is, is to save and rescue uh, you know the Jews and, and Judaism in and of itself. Hmm. It was not to establish uh, his own religion, okay. or was it to establish his own kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that Jesus was definitely not looking... You know, to uh, to go into business of of uh, nation building, of overthrowing, yes, yeah, um, and okay. and I I guess I say nation building. Um, you know, to kind of harken back to the two thousand presidential debate between um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> between Bush and uh, Al Gore, and uh-huh. Bush um, smartly said that you know America is not in the business of nation building. So, mm. so so
1: so what did Jesus mean in in your Mind, what did Jesus mean when he when he claims that he is the Messiah? Um,
2: so basically, we really have to kind of understand what the term Messiah means,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and try not to place Messiah as as a definition in contemporary time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what did Jews uh, think about when they heard the word Messiah? Um, so ultimately, Messiah is just being uh, a, a redeemer. Mm-hmm. Uh, a deliverer in many ways, a messenger in many ways, and so Jesus definitely looked at himself as being a messenger of God. Um, you know, not unlike Moses or David or Abraham or you know many of the other prophets. Uh, he definitely looked at himself as being a a redeemer mm-hmm. um, as well uh, through his political rhetoric, uh, trying to redeem uh, the Jews who he saw um, falling away from Yahweh. Um, and and also just as a as a I would say a protector
3: hmm. in many
2: ways a protector not only of Judaism but as a protector of Yahweh as well okay um, so I think that Jesus definitely understood the the first century definition of Messiah um, which is in many ways why Jesus did not come to create his own religion um, he understood I think uh, chiefly among other things, the fact that uh, his message was was going to go, but so far,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it needed to be continued after after he was gone.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, thus, with many of the conversations that he had with Peter, uh, with many of the other James. disciples, yeah. James, uh, and so on.
1: Okay, okay, what do you, what do you have to say about that? Well, I'm just,
0: I'm just thinking through, you know, each uh, each group, each Jewish group had a different version of what the Messiah was going to be like. You know, first century, Jew, uh, first century Palestine, it's just rife with expectation. You see this with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, all these different groups of people running around going what's our messiah going to look like where where is he coming from jesus didn't necessarily fit any of those molds or maybe he did maybe he fit parts of their molds but obviously they, he's always arguing with all of them. Yes. <laughs> getting into trouble getting himself into trouble so i guess you know what where do you think jesus is pulling from within this broader tradition of messianic figures and messianic expectation in the first century and kind of where do you think he's yeah getting his things from
2: uh Jesus was, um, in many, many ways, very knowledgeable of uh, Jewish history. Um, Earlier, I had mentioned the Maccabean Rebellion. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus was definitely knowledgeable of the Maccabean Rebellion. Um, It had happened um, roughly less than 250 years prior. Um, So most Jews were in some respect knowledgeable of it as well. Um I think that Jesus kind of looked at himself as being um from the from the cloth of the Maccambean Rebellion. Okay. Um in in and of itself in that uh Jesus understood that uh, and I definitely will get into this a little bit later, but Jesus understood that with any rebellion, uh with any messianic um uh, belief or any messianic um you know uh, forthcoming uh, diatribe that ultimately um, rebellion will lead to violence, hmm. and so it was just very it's it's it, it is unavoidable okay. um, ultimately, and so Jesus, looking at himself from being a messianic uh, uh, individual, understood that. Um, my job is to be a redeemer to be a messenger and to prepare the way for the upcoming violence that is ultimately going to happen um it's It was never a question of if it was always a question of when uh and so Jesus again being knowledgeable of the uh, Maccabean rebellion and then also other rebellions as well um you know there were definitely other ones uh after. Uh, the Maccabean Rebellion uh, prior to Jesus as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, being very, very knowledgeable of that and understanding ultimately that, um, you know, what I am saying as a Messiah, um, you know, and, and keep in mind, Jesus never never really considered himself to be the things that people said that he was, whether or not it was the, you know, the Son of God, um, you know, and so on. Um so again, understanding that this is, you know, the the purpose of a messiah. Mm. Um and that violence will happen. Sure. <laughs> you know, uh so I think that in preparing in preparing himself, um, you know, in preparing uh his followers definitely showed a true um messianic uh nature.
0: Yeah. Yes. Trials and tribulations.
1: Yes. They will be coming. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Okay. So anything more on that? No. Okay. So let's move on to Malcolm and then we'll go back to, to Jesus and and talk about them both. Um, so talk a little bit about in this context, Malcolm X and, and his political life as a political figure, kind of in the way you just did Jesus and also just give, um, you know, us and, and the listeners a little bit of a background of just, who malcolm x was because you know he's he's very mischaracterized as well right yes
2: uh yes Uh, i would say other than jesus malcolm is (laughs) perhaps one of the most (laughs) uh, misunderstood and mischaracterized misinterpreted individuals uh, in modern history definitely Mm -hmm. um so malcolm was was born malcolm little Um, In Omaha, Mm -hmm. Nebraska, um, Mm -hmm. in 1925, I believe, Um, his father was a follower of Marcus Garvey. Uh, Marcus Garvey being um, a an early pioneer of um, African American civil rights, Mm -hmm. particularly in New York, Um, and Garvey's famous, um, um, I guess, activist work Mm -hmm. uh, was the Back to Africa movement. Right, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so. Malcolm X father uh, being a uh, not only a follower of Garvey, but also being a Baptist minister as well, um, Malcolm definitely grew up in an environment where he was somewhat familiar uh, mm-hmm. with Christianity but also grew up in an environment where um the needs and the um, the urgency of um, of black redemption was at the forefront mm. Mm. Uh, okay. As an adult, Malcolm, well, as a, as a young adult, um, Malcolm found himself a, 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 in in very precarious positions, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, a small time hustler mm-hmm. um, who ultimately ended up going to to prison. Right. And um, the uh, the mid nineteen forties. Okay. Um, there he found uh, or was introduced to, I should say. Um, a man by the name of Elijah Poole, who many others will know as uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, mm-hmm. uh, and the teachings and attendance of the Nation of Islam, which was a small um, black, black, black revolutionary sect, uh, particularly in Chicago and Detroit in um, some areas of New York uh, during the 1940s and 1950s. Uh, so upon his release, he uh, joined the Nation of Islam physically. Mm-hmm. He had joined the Nation of Islam spiritually in prison. Okay. Um, he ultimately became a, um, a minister of the New York Temple, um, New York Temple number seven, I believe. Uh, he also traveled around um, to various areas, uh, not only temples, but schools, universities, and such Um Teaching many of the tenets of the Nation of Islam um, and mm-hmm. the the idealism of Black Revolution mm-hmm. and um, and and Black sustainability, um, you know, removing yourself ultimately from those who are oppressing you, which is very similar in respects to to Jesus. Um, unfortunately, Malcolm um, found um, found himself at, at odds um, with not only Elijah Muhammad, but many of the other higher-ups within the Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in February of 1965, Malcolm was unfortunately assassinated um, by his own people.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, very similar, <laughs> in many ways, to Jesus. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Also being assassinated by his own people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reasons why Malcolm was assassinated was because people mm-hmm. thought that he had just grown too big. He was drawing too much attention. Um Many of the reasons why Jesus was assassinated was because people believed that he was drawing too much attention. Um, those people being, uh, among others, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay.
1: Um, the I want to get back to that. Yes. Uh, okay. Caiaphas. Uh, the yes, that's, yes. that's quite the claim you just yes. made as well. Yes. So I okay. am <laughs> so, um, I I don't know. I, okay. We'll, we'll come. We'll come <laughs> back to it. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so in, in closing. Um,
2: uh, Malcolm is is misunderstood because he is looked at as being a demigod in many ways. Um, He was looked at as practicing um, uh, uh, hatred Mm -hmm. um, uh, from blacks to whites, which is not the case at all. Uh, Malcolm was looking to separate um, himself and thus black people from white people being from a power structure – not from an actual physical, I do not want to live next door to a white person. I don't right. want to worship in the same right. area right. as a white person. Ultimately, he was also looking to separate um, the ideology and the mindset, yeah. against like Jesus, of blacks. Because if there was going to ever be a revolution, the first tenet of a revolution is the changing of the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Malcolm <sighs> preached violence in in a way in which quite like jesus he knew that the anticipation of violence was going to be present because as with any revolution violence is bound to happen Mm -hmm. um so there are many other uh comparisons to jesus but those are just a few that i found between jesus and malcolm
1: okay okay can you talk about malcolm just as a little more in depth, just as, as a political figure yes. in the united States
2: yes yeah. uh, so uh, so Malcolm, as a political figure um, was mainly warehoused in the north, whereas Dr. Mm-hmm. King was warehoused in the south, right um, They had very different um, uh, ideologies. Malcolm's ideology was total and complete separation from the white power structure, whereas dr. Right. King's uh, belief was the integration. Um, into said structure. Um, politically, Malcolm was not uh, someone who involved himself in the the literal American political landscape. Um, mm-hmm. There is a, a, um, There was a time when Malcolm was in Harlem, and he was giving a speech, and he began by saying, um, I am not a Democrat, nor am I a Republican. Uh, I'm not a Mason. Um, I'm not this. I'm not that. Um, but what I am as a black man. And so Malcolm mm. understood politically that before he could be anything else, he needed to recognize who he truly was, which was a black man. Um, and so he attempted to separate himself. And I think he successfully separated himself from a political standpoint um, mm. by... Making sure that he did not pick and choose which side that he wanted to be on. Hmm. Um, now, in 1964, definitely Malcolm, um, after going to um, the Middle East right um, and and observing many of the um, um, orthodox Islamic uh, ways of, of right. worship and a pilgrimage, and right. yes, yeah. pilgrimage, yeah. Yeah. Um, he did come back with with uh, somewhat of a changed political um, philosophy. Hmm. Um, in that he understood that in order to really be able to kind of, um, kind of hit at the at the nail of the political structure in America, um, Black Americans had to set up their own political structure as well. Hmm. Um, And so he was an advocate of that uh, with the OAU, um, which is the Organization of um, Afro-American Unity, um, and many other organizations that he had set up. Unfortunately, um, he died within a year um, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. attempting to kind of reinvent himself.
1: It was within a year of his pilgrimage he Um, died? Yes. So uh, he returned from his pilgrimage
2: in, I believe, June of 64. And... Uh, was assassinated in February of sixty five. So,
1: okay. okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Jake.
0: Yeah, I'm just curious. So, when 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 you're talking about Malcolm, wanted to create a separate, wanted to separate himself as far as their own political structure for Black people. What did, what would that look like? I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to puzzle out what that what that actually means.
2: Um, it's difficult to say in many respects uh, with Malcolm um, because he did live a life of reinvention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's, I want to, I want to say that because he had changed so much in such a short period of time, it was a bit difficult to pin down exactly what he was looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Malcolm before nineteen sixty three was a very staunch black separatist um, individual from from all political fronts um, representing the nation of Islam. Uh, Malcolm post nineteen sixty three into sixty four and early sixty five was not as staunch. Um, and so I think had he stayed alive and and uh, forgive me, I am I probably am the last person. Who uh, should say exactly what Malcolm was thinking, um, you know, uh, or what he was planning? Uh, but just from from reading uh, different different material, talking to different people who uh, were followers of his, um, you know, even uh, post the pilgrimage, I think ultimately what Malcolm was attempting to do mm-hmm. was to first set up a uh, a political structure for blacks in that there would be political representation um Malcolm understood that in order for blacks to be able to be taken seriously mm-hmm. they needed to have a a political representation um so that they could go to uh you know the they could go to congress they could go to the senate they could go sure. to the white house um mm. and and express their their grievances um, and so he was He was definitely, I want to say, definitely looking forward to that. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the things that Malcolm was, was attempting to do was to bring charges against the United States um, for um, basically war crimes, essentially, um, at the United Nations. Oh, really? Um, so that was one of his big things that he had mentioned when he came, literally when he came
3: back um, from his pilgrimage, uh, the very first interview uh, that he did. Did he
2: stated very clearly that he wanted to bring uh, charges against the United States um, to the United Nations? Um, so, if I think if you look at that from a political standpoint, it's like, yeah, you know, we, yeah, we're, yeah. we're definitely we're definitely going to be going on the political route here. We're going to, in, you know, invoke yeah. the United States or the the yeah. United Nations. So,
1: yeah. not much has changed. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. So um so let's talk about them coming to I you've we've kind of danced around yes. the comparisons between Jesus and Malcolm. Um now let's let's kinda of dig right in and, and get right to it. Um how how did this kind of synthesis of the two originally um you know come about in your mind and and you know what have you found since in yes. in your research? Uh, yeah
2: uh well I wanna credit James Cohn, the late James Cohn. Um, the um, the founder in many respects of Black Liberation theology mm-hmm. for developing my uh, theology and for uh, developing my my uh, thesis. Okay. Um, originally, I was only going to be looking at Jesus from from Jesus solely in a political perspective. Okay. Um, but after reading James Cone, um, I, I really and, and really the the main book that I read was um, Martin and Malcolm. Uh, in America, uh, okay. and so reading that, I really began to understand a little bit more of the comparison uh, between Jesus and Malcolm, mm-hmm. um, and and how both related to uh, each other again from political, socioeconomic economic, religious standpoint.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I think that uh, once I began to really develop that, um, and just doing my own research, I'm like ah. You know, these are similar thoughts.
3: Right.
2: Uh, these yeah. are similar actions. These are um, similar aspirations mm-hmm. uh, between the two. And while I won't say that it's uncanny, I won't. I won't go that far. I will say that it is quite unique in a sense that both had a very explicit um, idea of what they wanted to achieve for not only just themselves. Of course, but for their people, mm-hmm. um, and they had a direct understanding of how to go about achieving that. Um, so yes, and and and, and ultimately, uh, getting to the, the the nuances, if you will, of my research, I ultimately found that uh, Jesus and Malcolm um, shared a lot of a uh, lot of commonalities um, that. I think people tend to not really, um, not really recognize. Um, you know, people tend to really compare Jesus to Dr. King, um, but I think right. if you really start to look at um, you know the political rhetoric of both Jesus and Malcolm, you will find that there are a lot of commonalities uh, between the two.
1: Okay. Like like what specifically? Uh
2: so uh so one of the things that I found um and I, I mentioned uh, previously was the the way in which both were uh coming at 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 everything from a political standpoint. Um so I consider Jesus to be a nationalist. Um mm. I don't look at that as being a dirty word okay. uh whereas some people do. Um Malcolm was also a nationalist. Malcolm represented the black nationalist um, regime in many respects. Jesus being a Jew first and only and caring about the welfare of Jews made him a nationalist. Uh, Malcolm being a black man first and only and caring about the welfare of blacks made him a nationalist. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as I mentioned, the, the understanding of what revolution meant and, and understanding what revolution needed where it needed to begin okay. and where it ultimately would end up. Um, so again, with Jesus um, really wanting to change the the ideology and the philosophy and, and the way of life and thinking of first century Jews, knowing that uh, Jews were not in any type of political, social, um, economic, or military position to overthrow um, the Roman Empire, understood that well. The only thing that we can really do right now is to change our way of thinking and go back into um, you know uh, appreciating and being faithful to Yahweh. Um, Malcolm, on the other hand, um, was very very clear about this as well. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the uh, during one of his um, uh, speeches he made a statement of um, just being on the right side of God and mm. wanting to make sure that black people were on the right side of God and that took changing the way in which you thought the way in which you perceived yourself and the way in which you perceived the world around you um, and I, I think a uh, third uh, was the, the complete and total rejection of the the different uh, empire states, so to speak, whereas when mm-hmm. Jesus was completely rejecting uh, the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. um, while not, again, trying to completely overthrow it, mm-hmm. um, you know, militarily or anything of that sort, um, whereas Malcolm was completely the same. You know, okay. here he is attempting to reject the, uh, the American Empire, so to speak, okay. uh, while knowing that... Uh, well militarily we cannot. Right. Fight okay, against so that's
1: them, okay. So so they were they weren't trying to overthrow their they were rejecting yes. the powers that be. Yes. Okay. That that makes that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and you know, I kinda I wanna push back on the this portrait of Jesus just a little bit. I <laughs> <laughs> see, see,
1: I was it's it's good. I, you know, I, I was actually about to get there. Okay. So uh, <laughs> you know I think I think Lichtel and I probably will, will both want to push back and in, 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 in different ways, but I think Lichtel yeah. uh, might even want to push back more. So so go ahead.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I can I can level with you on the looking at Jesus as historical figure, mm-hmm. right? You know, remove the religious aspects as far as be, me being a Christian, I can look at that yes. historical context wise and go, yeah, he was probably a messianic figure that thought he was, maybe he actually believed he was God, or maybe he thought he was this messianic figure in a very particular way. Mm-hmm from a historical sense. I, I don't necessarily know about the nationalism piece. I think in some ways that's accurate, but I also, th- I, I, I don't see the, the Jesus portrayed in Scripture necessarily, although now that, I'm, now that I'm saying that, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. You know, you see, so, I mean, I, I get some of that argument, but I, I mean, I, I, especially some of the political elements of Jesus, I don't necessarily know how... I'm trying to I'm trying to formulate because you know So how about you let me, let me think about it a little bit more because I'm, I'm verbally processing on the podcast right now okay okay my
1: that's that's something you're that's that's your thing Whittle, right thing. but
0: um it's even more concrete pushback I, I
2: i can I can definitely address that if if you if you would like yeah, go ahead sure um and I, I give a, a a scriptural example so um kind of late in Jesus ministry but Pretty much right before um, the the arrest and such, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus had made um, a a list of different decrees um, for his followers. Uh, one of the one of the decrees was to go out and um, you know spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, this is obviously pre um, resurrection and ascension and such. Um, but one of the things that, that Jesus said was, "Do not go and commune with the Gentiles." Mm-hmm. Um, I find that to be very nationalist in, in many sure. in many respects. Um, but there was also um, other Jews, other Jewish factions that he had cautioned the uh, the disciples to not uh, engage with, sure as well, um, and so. I think that that speaks to a nationalism in in some ways, mm-hmm. uh, because Jesus was saying, okay, we need to be separate from you know the Gentiles over here, uh, or we need to be separate from um, you know this Jewish faction over here, uh, because again, in knowing how revolution can be, um, there is going to be rejection, mm-hmm. particularly. From certain Jewish sects, um, as far as the Gentiles, um, I think that they just could have taken it either way. Uh-huh. Um, but with his own people, uh, he he was very much aware that the message that I have and the way in which I am going to present the kingdom of God is going to be rejected wholesale by the majority of people that you engage with so don't really even bother you know um stay within uh you know your 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 area Mm -hmm. and um and i think that again i think that personally speaking i think that that does speak to um jesus nationalistic um Perspective in Jesus' nationalistic rhetoric because of the separation of of himself, his Jews, his or his his disciples, um, and his followers, and then everyone else.
0: Yeah, I, I guess maybe maybe my my pushback is kind of around looking at the people who weren't Jews that came to Jesus. You know, and and and, and I know that I know that a lot of what you're talking about more is. The rhetoric more towards the end of his life, but kind of kind of throughout mm-hmm. as he's kind of you know some of the passages that are coming to mind, he sends the seventy two out you know, mm-hmm. that he basically says, pray for the man find the man of peace if, the, mm-hmm. if my spirit rests on that that's a good place to be you know were they sending it out in places that were completely Jewish, maybe but were there be Romans there I mean maybe they're you know so it, it leaves open, but also you have you have you know the centurion comes to him yes. you know God fears they're not jews they're yes. they're so he's not fully separating himself. I guess is kind of, and maybe maybe I'm taking that separation mm. maybe too hardlined. But maybe could you speak to some of those yes. examples? Yes.
2: Um, so I, I think I, I think for clarification purposes, um, when I use the word separation, it's not a a total um, you know separation from one group or another um, mm. forever. Um, I think that it was to understand how to really, you know, develop their, this this kingdom of God philosophy first for yourself, mm-hmm. um, and then to allow others to come to you versus you come to them. Um, so I think that 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 that, I, and in many ways, kind of speaks to uh, the separation process okay. as well. Um, so it, it, because again. Yes, there were there were definitely Romans, um, you know, in the midst wherever Jesus was. Yeah, Um, I make a I make a a claim um, in my work that is quite possible that that even Pilate at some point had come in contact with Jesus, maybe not directly, but indirectly, um, Mm -hmm. either through word of mouth or he could have possibly been present at one of Jesus' speeches. Sure, I mean we have to understand Jesus walked. A lot <laughs> mm-hmm. to various places, right. um, and Romans were were around, so yeah, yeah. you know they they were made aware of, sure. you know, um, of his message. Yeah. So, and understanding that you know that, that there were you know individuals that were not Jews that were in the midst, um, and there obviously there's gospel evidence uh, to support this. Uh, I think that Jesus was was basically saying. To separate yourself from them and allow them to see your work, mm-hmm. so that they can come to you versus you coming to them okay. uh, and trying to persuade them to see where you were. You know, I, I think I, I think it was just more of a I I, I kind of look at it from a military, um, you know, a recognizance perspective. Okay. You know, um, in the sense of. Okay, we're going to go out and we're going to, you know, talk to our own people. We know that other people are going to be there. We mm-hmm. know that other people are going to be looking and watching and listening and so on. So, you know, we want to present a message that will cause other people to want to join us. Sure. You know, um, so I think that to, to clarify that, I, okay. I would I would say that that, that was a
0: stance. Okay. And I, something that just kind of came into my mind, I'm curious to how you interpret some of those, or if if this comes into your interpretive process, like Matthew 25 with sheep and the goats, mm-hmm. some, some of the wheat and the tares, mm-hmm. some of these parables that Jesus always talked about, about pe- people getting separated yes. in the last day of judgment and all these types of things that were, again, very popular ideas if you are a messianic figure. In the first century, mm-hmm. there's this whole idea that something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a judgment. And so... Right. You know, he had a lot of ideas around judgment, but Seb, what, what Seb had a thought.
1: Well, I, yeah, I, so I guess going off the, the messianic figure um, question, or what it means to, to be the messiah, mm-hmm. um, I've kind of been working under the impression when thinking about first century Palestine and, and the life of Jesus that, um, especially from a from a Jewish perspective, being the messiah meant liber, liberating the Jewish people mm-hmm. from occupation, mm-hmm. right? And and so, um, I, I mean, that was at least one big. Um, that was the the earthly mission yeah, it was the of, hook, of, right. of Jesus, right? Yeah. And but the fascinating part about Jesus, and and actually Reza Aslan points this out too, is that he, if we take that to be um, the idea of what the Messiah was, Jesus failed. Yes, right Jesus failed at at the of what it meant to to be the Messiah, but the fascinating part is not necessarily that he failed but that his followers continued to preach his message, yes, right, because a lot of people in first century Palestine claimed to be the messiah um, and were killed, and then a lot of their followers said, whoops right <laughs> but <laughs> but uh but Jesus did not. And, and that's kind of, um, and and then, so, so then we get into, uh, you know, resurrection territory mm-hmm. and, and everything like that. And, and we can talk about that and, and your thoughts about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but just even taking away kind of like Lictal said originally too, to, taking away the, the religious and even Christian aspect mm-hmm. of the life of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, it, do, do you not see that as being the, the goal of the Messiah? Um,
2: yeah. I, I do, okay. I do, um, particularly looking at it from, you know, uh, what did the Messiah represent during that, that time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, I would agree that if we are just stripping it down to the, the historical perspective, no spiritual or religious or biblical mm-hmm. um, content, that ultimately just Jesus failed. Um, I know that that's pretty harsh to say, And I know that, uh, you know, some people will be like, oh, gosh, now he's just, you know, saying that Jesus is a failure. Um, I'm not saying that Jesus is a failure. Right. I don't think that Ashley was also
1: saying that Jesus was a failure. Why was was he a failure? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: I think that Jesus, Jesus failed in the sense that his, it's very, it's it's hard to to, to kind of, um, to kind of explain. Uh, because it's it's like I, I don't want to go into the, the religious standpoint or the, the Christian standpoint, but it's very okay. difficult to do that.
1: Um, you know, it's very difficult to not do that because because Christians would say he didn't because right. of the resurrection. Right? Yes, so yeah, and that's why that's yes. why his disciples continued. To, yes, yeah, to and then even the even
2: mission. with you know with the ultimate development of Christianity, so it's it's difficult to say right. that Jesus right. failed. Right. And then there well, is this yeah. worldwide religion. Yeah. yeah. So you know, <laughs> right. but then exactly. it's like okay, exactly. now I'm bringing in the religious aspect of it, and uh-huh. I can't really stay within the historical realm. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So if I if I could stay within the historical realm sure, um sure. I would say that ultimately <clears throat> excuse me ultimately Jesus failed in the sense that um he was not able to fully redeem uh first century Jews away from um away from Rome you okay. know and then also to redeem them back to Yahweh mm mm-hmm. In that, and I, I think I think this is critical. And looking at it from from this failure um, uh, perspective, Jesus definitely wanted his his followers and his people to redeem themselves back to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. In the aftermath of Jesus's death and resurrection, it became Judaism and Christianity.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So. Mm-hmm you know the 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 first christians were jews Mm -hmm. so ultimately you know did jesus actually succeed in 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 completely getting the jews back on 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 yahweh's side as or as malcolm would say on god's side um... or did he inadvertently create (laughs) a religion that over the years completely shunned jews um, that completely forgot about Judaism. Um, yeah, and, I, mean, I think,
1: yeah, I, I think Paul created created that. <laughs> yes. for us. but uh, I, I what, what do you think about that? Little what little? do I
0: think about which specific part? I mean, that's a lot of stuff, right there. <laughs> right,
1: right, right, right. Um, yeah, I, I, don't know what. So, 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 I because because I think when talking about the life of Jesus and who Jesus was, yeah. Um, You know, like Chris said, it is hard to remove the religious aspect, too. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, like, as a Christian, Lictal, what what does Messiah mean to you? Well, I'm going you know, right? to give so, the, uh,
0: the Bible, uh, yeah, Bible school yeah, yeah. answer, you're, right? Yeah, and you're
1: a product <laughs> of Bible school, so... You've
0: got to give the right Protestant answer, you know? Mm-hmm. Jesus is the Messiah universally, right? right. Mm-hmm. Who came, right. you know, died, died for our sins, resurrection... We all get to go to heaven <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he inaugurated the kingdom of God instead of. I think mm-hmm. I, you know. I like the interpretation that it was kingdom of God is so, about changing your mind because he said, "Hey, repent. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is at hand. Mm-hmm. It literally changed your mind, yes. right?" So, I mean, I think that's it's it's a it's not novel. It's it's right. I, I think it's I think it doesn't go far enough. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think again as a Christian as someone that. Believes this type of stuff as yeah. a religious person that the kingdom of God he inaugurated something. I think it's spiritual. I think there will be some sort and of
1: I'd agree with that too. You know, for the
0: actual material component to it. Again, in yeah. the eschaton, in the in the end. Yeah. Um. But as far as what he inaugurated and what he was doing, it was a spiritual thing, and it, maybe maybe we can equate the spiritual with the change of mind. Maybe the thing you know we can put those kind of ideas uh-huh. together. And, you know, from a historical perspective go, they were ideas, and from a spiritual, they were, it's the spiritual thing he inaugurated. Because when you have an idea, it's something that exists somewhere. Yes. Right? And so it actually <laughs> does create, it, it creates, like, a infrastructure for itself in the hearts and minds of people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So yeah. maybe that's what, if from a historical perspective, we're talking about with this sect of Judaism that ultimately became Christianity. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, do you, I mean, what yeah. do you think about that?
1: No, I mean, I, and I agree. I'm kind of... In the middle of both of, both of you two, I, I'd say you know because I originally, um, I've kind of come back, uh, you know, to to embracing Christianity fully, right, <laughs> and and Jesus as God fully. But um, but I but I also, um, you know, what kind of got me started on this path was the the. Uh, you know, this path of divinity school was the political life of Jesus, yes. right? I, I mean, Zealot is actually one of one of the books that that really inspired me yes. and 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 helped me realize I I do want to follow the life of Jesus mm-hmm. and 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 so I think, um. You know, I I do think in the midst of this conversation, regardless of if we think, regardless of what you think. Um, of who you thought Jesus was, his his mission. I think we would all his earthly mission. I think we would all kind of agree on. Yes.
0: And,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Lictal, why not? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm tr- I mean, I mean, you know, when you say his earthly mission, are, are you talking about the religious side of that? Or are we just talking about from the, like, it's so? You, well, like, it's so I, hard to separate those well, things, well, right? Well, like, think, can well, you really separate? Well, I think those everything
1: things? he did was was pretty political
0: was related to the political
1: um and 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 i mean he was a troublesome we, political figure for well Rome, and we also have to re- we also have to remember too i mean you know more so than now um you know the religious and the political were were pretty, pretty much related. one in the same right yeah. yes
2: yes um and i think that that i think this is a good kind of segue into the more um, I don't want to say dark, <laughs> but uh, the more troublesome um, aspect of Jesus' ministry, which okay. um, which is, I think, at, at the heart of, of my work, mm-hmm. um, this idea of
1: violence. Right, uh, okay, actually, and I wanted to get there, so that's perfect. Oh, okay. okay.
2: <laughs> um, so... I wanted to take the perspective of Matthew ten thirty four and Luke twenty two thirty six because those yeah. are two um, passages of scripture that is, as I said before, often overlooked uh, for various reasons and is mm-hmm. not often preached about because it tends to paint Jesus in a unfavorable position and it tends
0: to be opposite of what Jesus do we uh, wanna, represents.
1: Do we want to talk about those? Yeah, what, those what two are verses? what are those
0: texts? So, people listening, what are, what do those texts say? Uh,
2: so, uh, uh, Matthew. 1034 is Jesus saying uh, do not assume uh, that I have come to bring peace mm-hmm. um, and and he goes into I'm not coming to bring peace but I'm come to bring a sword and it's right. so on. Um, my favorite scripture of the gospel <laughs> believe it or not is actually Luke 2236 okay where he is um, telling his disciples um, after uh, the the Lord's Supper that <laughs> um, where he basically says, look, you know, um, there's some people that are coming around. Um, <laughs> you know, they're looking for me. I'm, um, you know, our friend Judas <laughs> has <laughs> has abandoned us, uh, and when he comes back, he's going to be coming with these people. So uh-huh. um, if you do not have a dagger, um, sell your cloak uh, mm-hmm. and buy one. Mm-hmm. So in my research, because I, I really wanted to research what, what a dagger was in in the first century. Yeah. Um, so, well, first I'll get into what a cloak is. So, cloak sure. is is basically it's an overcoat. That's you know, um, so just sell your jacket. Kept you warm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, okay. Um, you know, this is early spring, so it's still a bit you know uh, cold outside during <laughs> the night. Uh, in it's funny, I never think of what the weather was like in Jerusalem, and <laughs> <laughs> of the Last Supper, you know. <laughs> um, and so the, but 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 there but there is a there's an element of sacrifice that Jesus is asking of his of his disciples. Yeah. It would yeah. be very easy to just say, okay, we'll sell this and then buy that. Yeah. But sell the thing that keeps you warm, you know. And I think in looking at it from a, a, a metaphor or from an um, allegorical perspective, the thing that was keeping the disciples warm was Jesus' message, was the mission at hand.
0: Okay.
2: So if you can sell that, if you can sell the message, and then it's like, well, who are you selling the message to? And so it goes back into the whole separation of we'll go to these people versus not these people and so on. Um, But from a literal perspective, Jesus is saying to sell your cloak or or your jacket and to buy a dagger. So a dagger in first century Palestine was essentially used to kill. Um, it was not. It, it, okay. it had no other, no other purpose. Um, You're right. This is pretty dark. You didn't yeah. just, like, <laughs> cut cheese with it. No, no. no. <laughs> it was not. Um, it was not a household item <laughs> uh-huh. uh, that was used in. And you know, no uh, way to um, spin it on. Huh? Yeah. Okay. No, okay. no way to actually. It, it was not used to cut unleavened bread. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Um. <laughs> but. Uh, the type of dagger that jesus was referring to was also used by uh by the roman um by the roman military guard
3: hmm.
2: so okay and knowing that jesus knew that the people who were going to come and seize him were going to be carrying the same type of weapons that he needed his disciples right. to have right um and i make a really good point in in my um, in my work, by by saying that while Jesus never commissioned his followers, particularly Peter, um, to inflict violence, mm-hmm. he knew that in his midst there were people who were willing to do that, and I think that that hmm. it, that, that speaks to the 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 wholeness of this this revolution mm-hmm. and just this this knowledge that with the revolution, violence is bound to happen, you know. Mm. Um and so okay. being I, I guess in a, this passage being in a dark area um, you know in a sense of well, Jesus is commissioning people to to kill and and so on um, one number one again I cannot reiterate enough Jesus did not commission Paul or any other person to to stab anyone to death he was not saying that <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, what he was asking them to do was to be protected, because the reality of what his mission was was coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. Everything. So the- violence
1: would be would be inflicted upon. Yes, his followers. Yes,
2: and I mean, and, and obviously, you know, violence would beset him. You know, so he died mm-hmm. in in the most barbaric and brutal way right. that Rome could punish an insurrectionist. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and so if they were if they were going to kill Jesus, you know, what was stopping them from killing James and and, sure. and sure. Yeah. you know uh, Peter and and the rest of uh, yeah. the rest of them? So, um, I think in looking at it from that perspective and why those passages resonate with me so much is because it shows Jesus at his a lot of people think that you know Jesus praying in the garden showed him at his most vulnerable and spiritually it does spiritually it does mm-hmm. humanistically and i think historically this moment shows Jesus as a as a human being in yeah. his most vulnerable where he needs Protection, And well, not necessarily he needs protection, but he needs his followers to have protection. Um, and it humanizes Jesus in a way that no other um, section of the Gospels humanized Jesus. This mm-hmm. is a man who is saying, individuals are out to get me because of what I have been teaching you and what I have asked you to go out and teach others. Um, so I need for you to be prepared for mm-hmm. what is to come. I know what's coming my way and I have wholly accepted that. Sure. Um, my fate is already sealed. But in order for the mission, in order for the the revolution or in order for the changing of the mindset in the kingdom of God and everything else that that leads up to Luke 2236, in order for that to continue, then I need you to be able to be protected. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so go out and 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 sell your jacket and, and buy a sword. Uh, or by a dagger, uh, because the mission can continue if you're if you're
0: dead. Sure. You know. Yeah. So maybe it's a very human moment that he he loved his friends. Yes. You know, and he's yeah. actual protection. You know. So I mean, yeah. is this the uh, the first instance of a just war theory in the Christian tradition? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so, right. So so you'd say he never <laughs> preached violence, or felt that violence was a way to to continue the revolution, but he preached defense is that what, you would, yes. is that what yes. you would say yes okay
2: and i think that this is where people tend to well maybe this isn't exactly where people will start to compare jesus with with dr king right but with the the nonviolent um yeah. aspect yeah um mm-hmm. definitely jesus was nonviolent. violent i mean dear you cannot find an episode where jesus was violent toward anyone right you know yeah. overtly um however uh, Jesus, again, was, was very much aware that violence was was ever-present. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was more of a, um, uh, a being on guard, of protecting, of uh, being prepared, uh, and so on, versus, you know, we are going to be the instigators of violence. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah, and, and so I kind of want to get, to we've alluded to this a couple times too and this kind of goes with the topic of violence um the difference between the comparison of jesus and martin luther king Mm -hmm. and jesus and malcolm x and and so not only am i fascinated um, because most people compare jesus more to to king um, than than to malcolm um but i think what's interesting is dr king did everything that he did explicitly because of the life of Jesus yes. <laughs> right yes. so so um, you know and, and um, I, I'll, I'll say I, I know a lot more myself about Dr. King than, than about Malcolm, um, and you know he's, he's um, certainly someone someone that I, I try to follow after. Um, yeah, but I guess why, why do you think people compare why, why is that comparison made more? Um, is it because people are more comfortable with it? I don't, um,
2: I don't think it's. I don't think that it's universally uh, because people are more comfortable with it. I think okay. that it's because people. Um, well, for one, there are those who tend to cherry pick um, aspects of Jesus's life. Yeah. You know that makes them more comfortable. So you do have that aspect. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I think it's because of the nonviolent uh, perspective mm-hmm. or the nonviolent stance that Jesus mm-hmm. took and that uh, Dr. King took
1: um so you you would maintain that jesus took a non stance i would to the revolution okay yes okay
2: yes yeah. um however i think that jesus was not as overtly vocal about nonviolence as dr king was hmm. okay. and i think that yeah. there you know yeah. there there are there are reasons why obviously yep. right um but you, know, you can you can go through many of the the texts and readings of Dr. King's speeches and, and books and such, and you know the words "not violent" um, are there. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. you know implicitly implied it's ex- it's or explicitly yes, there. Yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. You know, right. um, whereas with Jesus, obviously the terminology is going to be different from mm-hmm. you know um, modern age to um, you know biblical time.
3: Yeah.
2: However um you know the the implication of nonviolence is still there um and so mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. jesus was definitely nonviolent um he made sure to to constantly remind uh his followers that in the off chance that violence comes you know let us not refrain <laughs> from you know retaliatory actions let's not be instigators mm. Mm. you know okay. whereas with Dr. King was you know uh, turn the other cheek and this and that and the third um, you know and and even in a lot of the physical demonstrations that Dr. King uh, I mean, and many of his followers did as far as you know Bloody Sunday and uh, so many other yeah. uh, situations you um, I think it would be hard to press to find similar uh, actions, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with Jesus. Um, and again, I think it all just goes back to, you know, uh, Matthew ten thirty four and Luke 20 to 36. Um, because Jesus could have easily said, you know, when they come upon you to seize you, then let them, you know. Um, but that mm-hmm. is completely not what he said. Sure. He said the complete mm-hmm. opposite.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say, I, I feel like Jesus did say that in some ways at other times, maybe. Um, yes. You know, you, you mentioned, um, uh, you know, the, the the verse of, Give Caesar what is Caesar's, mm-hmm. and, and God's mm-hmm. what is God's. And um, another uh, contemporary Christian thinker I really like, you know, Shane Claiborne, mm-hmm. um interprets this as that jesus was one of the first thinkers in in the west Mm -hmm. to come up with this idea of revolutionary subordination he calls it so so you caesar can caesar can have his his taxes whatever but like i have humanity you know (laughs) yes um and it, it was it was through it's through abiding by the laws of an oppressive state you expose its evil Yes. Right, mm-hmm. and and that's 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 textbook Dr. King too. So yes. so I will. I mean, for what it's worth, that's kind of where I find the comparisons mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. those two in my in my head. But I don't know. I don't know what you think about that.
2: Chris, um, I I, I I agree. I do. I okay. do agree. Um, I think that. Um, however, in looking at at Jesus and and comparing him to Dr. King in that in that perspective. Um, And then comparing Jesus to Malcolm. Yeah. Um, Right, right, yeah. Dr. King was attempting to integrate into, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just I I guess as as a turn of a phrase, to uh, integrate into the American empire, whereas Jesus was attempting to separate by simply saying, um, you know, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. Mm -hmm. Uh, With Dr. King... He was saying, hey, you know, let us become a part of what is Caesar's or what is America. You know, Hmm. Um, Hmm. and I think that that is like the, 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 the distinctive break between the philosophy of Jesus and the philosophy of Dr. King and where the philosophy of Jesus meets the philosophy of Malcolm X. Hmm. Because Malcolm was never one to say, well, let us integrate into, you know, what belongs to the empire. Um, you yeah. know, he was saying, what belongs to America is America, you know, and what should belong to us should belong to
1: us. Yeah.
2: Whereas Jesus was essentially saying the same thing. Caesar's
1: um, is Caesar's, but. Right. Right. Follow me. Yes. Hmm. Okay we'll have to we'll have to do an episode on on dr King too, at some point because <laughs> I, I i feel yeah i I'm not one hundred percent in agreement of that if if he was trying to integrate into i think his end goal was the beloved community right? yes yes so, absolutely. i don't know i don't know let's let's not let's not go let's not go down that rabbit hole we'll we'll get there we'll get there another day Chris. Yes. we'll have you back on um so so how do how do you um you know, reconcile this idea of violence. Um, you know, with the lives of Jesus and Malcolm X, and and um, you know, is there political thought overall something that you um, think is is worth following for for people everywhere who are oppressed and, yes. and <laughs> right?
2: Yes, I, I definitely do. Okay. Um, yeah. I think that, and well, to answer your first question as far as reconciling violence, Mm -hmm. um, I think that violence befell both Mm -hmm. because they Mm -hmm. were, I I, I don't want to say game changers, but Mm. they were world changers.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely.
2: And anyone who makes such a dramatic shift, um, you know, in philosophy and uh, and and policy, uh, you know, and and, and religion, uh, unfortunately, will more than likely, you know, fall victim to yeah. violence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is just it's inevitable. Right. I, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there is a demonstration of 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 um, reconciliation in the violence hmm. of both, and in and in death. Of both, and in Jesus' case, the the resurrection, mm-hmm. um, because you can look at Jesus' death and and just and that's the end of the story, you know, and just say, okay, where's the guy? He you know he had his mission. He you know, he came and he upset the establishment. They they murdered him, and then that was it. But you cannot just leave it there.
3: No.
2: Um, And the same thing with Malcolm. You can say, okay, here's a man who was very, very, um, you know, vehement, um, you know, and adamant about the the um, redemption of his people and getting them back on the right side of God. Um, He failed, and that's it. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, But that obviously is not the case either. So I think that there's that there's life in the death. You know, um, obviously there's life and the death for Jesus because there's Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, and for mm-hmm. those who are Christians believe that, you know, eternal life comes through uh, accepting Jesus and accepting Jesus, uh, you know, and the resurrection uh, and everything that comes along with that. Uh, I think that there's life in Malcolm because there are those who... Understood his message for what it was, and understood that the message that the message needed to be carried on, and it was carried on, you know, through the development of the Black Panthers, through Mm -hmm, the development mm -hmm. of um, many of the um, post civil rights, um, you know, uh, groups and organizations, um, musical artists. um, You know, I I found Malcolm through through rap music. Sure, you know, um, and so. Yeah, I do think that there that you can reconcile the violence by understanding that there is um, that there's life within that. Mm-hmm. And so, did Jesus actually die? No, no. Um, and even if you look at it just from a historical perspective, did Jesus actually die? No, his message did not die. Mm-hmm. From a spiritual perspective, no, Jesus did not die. Um, you know, from a historical uh, perspective and a social perspective, did Malcolm actually die? No you know um right, right so um
1: and i'm sorry i forgot your your second question <laughs> i think i did too actually
0: i, I don't remember that <laughs> <laughs> I was i was listening intently like.
1: <laughs> you've captivated us so well <laughs> yeah. i forgot my second question um yeah so so when we were kind of brainstorming before uh before we started recording um we thought we'd we'd uh kind of wrap up with, or at least begin to to wrap up the conversation by by asking why all of this is important and um, why it's important to our contemporary context. Um, so why is it? Yes. <laughs> um,
2: so not to give a direct quote from the, the end of my work, but I, I definitely answered this question. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my end goal. Uh, of yeah. why? Why does this even matter? Right, right. Um, well, I, I would tackle Jesus first. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up in in uh, in a home with a father that was a pastor, most of my friends were in you know from the church that I went to. My environment was uh, was a very Christian laden environment. Um, I was never given the answer to why. You know why mm-hmm. why should I believe? and this guy that I've never met that died, you know, and, and so on. And that is, I think, at the heart of my, of my work. Um, Jesus, as a historical figure, needs to be understood a lot more than what he is currently understood, particularly by those who are biblical scholars or those who are in the pulpit. You know, because those are the individuals who are going to go out like Jesus' disciples and teach, you know, the masses or or the the, the lost sheep. But we can't give a a half story uh, on Jesus. You know, Jesus was more than just, um, you know, this biblical figure who you know preached a little bit he died on the cross and he was resurrected and now i believe in christianity jesus was a living breathing human being who had uh, a historical imprint mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. and i think it is imperative that we really begin to grapple with and understand who jesus was historically because i think that that can help save us uh, uh you know socially mm. um because and i definitely don't want to get into the political you know banter of uh evangelical christians versus non-evangelical christians and and what they believe and so on but i think that if we really begin to truly understand jesus for the man that he was and understand how jesus was looked at during the time that jesus lived and by the individuals that jesus interacted with every day mm-hmm then we can really begin to have a better understanding of what Christianity means and what Christianity is and what is supposed to be versus what it's not in and in, in, in many respects what I think people tend to want to remake it and refashion it as. Um hmm. Christianity was it was a a and it and even pre-Christianity, you know, Jesus' message was a message of love. It was a message of kindness. It was a message of forgiveness. It was a message of repenting. Yeah. You know, and it was a message, above all else, of, of following and being faithful to Yahweh or being faithful to God. Mm-hmm. Um, if we follow the, 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 the way of life of Jesus from a historical perspective, we will find all of that in there. Yeah. You know, and we will find so much more. Um, and I think that in finding all of that, you will find a very, very, very fascinating individual mm-hmm. um, that that changed the world, you know, um, in, in more ways than one. Um, as far as Malcolm, I think the same thing, you know, um, definitely I think on, on a less, um, um, you know, higher pedestal. pedestal But Mm -hmm. in following Malcolm and and what he wanted and what he was hoping for uh, and understanding that that Malcolm was not a violent person, you know, uh, Malcolm was a sinner that found his way to God and found his way to God through, you know, um, Islam.
3: Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm.
2: Malcolm definitely loved God. He was very, very concerned about the social and economic and political welfare of blacks during the the height of the civil rights era, but he was also concerned about their religious life as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, which is why he made many, many overtures, uh, you know, to black pastors, to um, you know other uh, religious groups, and and wanted them to really understand you know, what this thing called religion means and what this thing called religion is to black people. Um just like what this thing called Judaism means to first century Jews. Mm-hmm. Um and how can we use that to get back to God? Um or in case of Jesus, how can we use that to get back to to Yahweh? Um so I guess I, I will I will wrap it up in, in saying this. Um it's important because if we are going to move forward as as a nation, as a world, and if we're going to claim that we are lovers of God, if we're going to claim that we are Christians, then we have to observe the full body of what that means not just cherry-picking what we want it to mean, not just cherry-picking what we want Jesus to to represent, and not extrapolating Jesus from his time, bringing him over into our time, because there's a lot of implicit biases that come with that. Um, but putting ourselves in the shoes of those who walked with Jesus every day, putting ourselves in the environment in a, and at the heart of this man who saw that, this system was so oppressive that it was pushing people away from, from Yahweh. Mm-hmm. There's a difference in, in, in an oppressive system pushing you away from politics. You know, um, I'm one of those individuals, I'm just, like, I'm just tired of politics. But it's a completely different ballgame, I think, when that system completely removes you from thinking about Yahweh and changes your mind. And so, ultimately, with the kingdom of God, and this this idea that you needed to, in order to, before you do anything else, you have to change the way in which you think and in which you you behave. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, then you know, um, as a Bible verse, uh, you know, the windows of of, of heaven will be open. Yep. Um, hmm. And so, I think that that that, that uh, definitely is is why why it's important. Hmm.
1: This, It's a lot to think about. I think, uh, I think, I I think we've come to the conclusion that it (laughs) is pretty important. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, usually at, at the end, um, at the end, we ask our guests, um, for a last word, um, if they have anything, anything left to say that we didn't get to or not, but, um... I, th- I think I, you, I feel I think like you, you left just, it on the table just please. left it all out there. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been such a fascinating discussion. I think we really we really appreciate you coming on thank you. Thank, thank you.
2: thank you having, for coming
1: on. Thank you. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to today's episode of I Think You're Wrong. If you would like to contribute to the conversation, follow us on Facebook or Instagram at I Think You're Wrong Pod.